Welcome to the Old Testament Reading Podcast. I'm your host, Joel, and today we're focusing on Genesis 21 through 26. Uh, if you'd like to find and subscribe to this podcast through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google, you can do so by going there and searching for Old Testament Reading Podcast. You can also find the links to each of these in the show notes below. Uh, if you'd like to ask any questions about the reading each week, or if you'd like to revisit questions from previous weeks, you can do that by going to bit.ly slash ask hyphen OT. That's capital A, lowercase sk, hyphen capital O, capital T. Uh, I check that Google form each week to see if there are any questions and you can feel free to ask. This week we're looking at Genesis 21 through 26, uh, which maybe the, the underlying theme of these chapters in scripture are the threats that manifest against the covenant that God makes with Abram. You see, beginning in Genesis 12, uh, when God covenants with Abram, it's it's sort of like this honeymoon period. We see um, all is right between God and human beings. That uh, Abram is a, a model citizen uh, here and, and really wants to do right by God. Uh, this is what happens uh, often whenever anybody becomes a Christian or finds God in their life. There's this period of just like God and me. And I don't have to worry about anybody else because, darn it, I'm with God. God's with me. The people I don't like, well, God doesn't like them either. It's God and me against the world. I don't have to worry about uh, the, the person who I see in church who votes differently than me or the person that I see in church who has, like, really bad breath, you know, or stuff like that, the things that bother us about other people. All the threats at this point, for the covenant against uh, that are against the covenant that Abraham and God make, well, these threats are initially external. But as Abraham's tribe grows, as Abraham has children, and as Abraham has people that he loves that fold into this covenant, well, it's not just Abraham and God anymore all by themselves. There are more participants, and it gets messy. The church is similar to this. We uh, have threats that aren't just from the outside, but are also from the inside. And there are several things that we do in response to these threats to the covenant. And I think the first thing that that we need to emphasize is this idea of laughter. Um, And I don't emphasize this because it's necessarily the first response that many of us have. I emphasize this because laughter comes up over and over again in the story of Isaac. We talked a little bit about this last week, um, but uh, the, the laughter almost marks these different um, portions of the circle of life, you could think. Um, and, and I think that there's this meta uh, story going on here, that there's, there's almost a laughter that God has at those who would try to subvert the covenant, that uh, God is not threatened by them, although God does take them seriously, but, but God chuckles uh, because God knows that nothing can separate us uh, from God's love for us in Jesus Christ. Uh, so we've got several different kinds of laughter that go on. And I'll be skipping around through the narrative. Um, we'll be tackling some of the harder passages at the end of our time today. Um, but skipping around just with this idea of laughter, we see this come up a couple of times in Genesis 21 and uh, then in, in 24 and, and also in 26. But let's start with 21. So 
Isaac comes into the world. Sarah realizes, I'm pregnant. Uh, how can I be pregnant? I'm 90 years old. And has this deep and, and almost bubbling up joy and laughter that, you know, this actually happened. God fulfilled what God promised to me. And not only that, but I get to have a son. There's this deep delight and almost a relief that this God with whom my husband, Sarah's probably thinking, this God with whom my husband covenanted is a God who's faithful. And this was contrasted with the, the laughter that Ishmael expresses later on in this chapter, where it's almost a, a shaming laughter, where Ishmael is laughing at or, or playing with, depending on your translation, uh, uh, his brother. Um, and, and there's a little pun that goes on here in the Hebrew, where he's sort of trying to butt in on Isaac's legitimacy. Uh, not only is he sort of putting his brother down by asserting his own uh, elderness and superiority by laughing at him, but he's sort of taking on the characteristic of his brother, this laughter, taking it on uh, as his own. Um, and, and we'll talk more about Ishmael in a little bit here. Then in Genesis 24, we have the joy and comfort that Isaac receives from uh, meeting his spouse, Rebecca. And while the word laughter isn't used, there's definitely a relief. There's a, a, a joy that comes upon him. He's comforted. Then finally, in Genesis 26, we see Isaac playing with or laughing with his wife, uh, uh, sort of in the eyesight of Abimelech or of some of uh, the, the people who report to Abimelech. And um, uh, we'll get at uh, this idea of him calling uh, his wife his sister, much like his father did. Uh, but there's, again, this circle of life where Isaac is greeted with laughter uh, that is overjoyed. And then as he grows, he's laughed at. Uh, begins to lose the childlike innocence. He finds someone who understands him for who he is in Rebecca and is comforted uh, before um, playing with his wife uh, in, in, in uh, the, the sort of joy that, that a married couple can have together and uh, uh, to, to, to produce children later on. So there's this, again, circle of life that kind of goes through. Now, of the three major patriarchs in Genesis... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Isaac gets crunched for space. Uh, Abraham is super important because he's the one that God covenanted with. Jacob is important because Jacob uh, is the younger brother and Jacob asserted his right to the birthright over and against Esau. And it's, it's through Jacob that the 12 tribes come. But Isaac uh, sometimes gets skipped over. He gets the fewest pages of any patriarch and I think that this this reflects our cultural norm sometimes to skip over joy. We are not always willing to find laughter and joy. We're not always willing to devote as much energy to laughing with one another or to being cheerful with one another as we do with conflict and grief. And I think that Genesis reveals a little bit why. Um, sometimes laughter can feel wasteful when there's conflict knocking at the door. So let's consider this conflict. Now the conflict in the story 
it shows the difficulty, I think, of living as a covenant people. Because in any conflict, there's a yearning for righteousness and for justice. And, and, and the most compelling conflicts are those where both sides think that they are pursuing righteousness and justice. But we can see this in several of the conflicts that form the backbone of our story in these uh, six chapters. In in chapter 21, uh, Abraham and Abimelech are still uh, having a conversation. Abraham is still uh, uh, butting up against Abimelech's land. And there's this issue about this well where Abimelech's herdsmen are taking this well that Abraham believes belongs to him. And I think that this shows um, what it can look like truly to speak the truth in love. Sometimes we're afraid, I think, of speaking truth because we're worried about how we're going to make other people feel. But that's not a good reason to refuse to speak the truth in love. Frankly, we don't have control over how other people feel. And so Abraham, by seeing this issue, expresses his lament to some degree to Abimelech, saying, I thought we had something here. And, and Abimelech's reaction is such that you know, it, it, he, he appreciates that feedback that Abraham gives. And this is what a good relationship looks like, where one person is willing to give the feedback and the other person is willing to hear it. And, and it promotes a resolution of the conflict. Conflict. Had Abraham thought, ah, I don't want to make waves, I don't want to uh, risk this friendship, well, then re- resolution would never have been obtained. Relationships that can weather conflict are relationships that are strong enough to keep. And if your relationship can't weather conflict, well, maybe that's because it's not a very strong relationship to begin with. We see again in, in, in Genesis 23 this interaction between Abraham and then uh, these, these other folks called Hittites. Uh, these are, are, are not part of Abraham's tribe, and he has a conversation with them uh, around purchasing a burial plot for Sarah. And there's a lot of cultural back and forth here that may have been confusing to 21st century readers. Uh, the, the Hittites are like, yeah, we'll give you a plot. What's it between you and me? And, and that that's not an honest offer. Um, in the culture of that time, um, uh, this was the beginning of a barter that, that would go back and forth, where one party would express a, a deep hospitality so that the other party will, will also go into this idea of hospitality and generosity. And what Abraham eventually ends up paying for Sarah's burial plot is an exorbitant fee, a kingly ransom. But Abraham doesn't protest, in part, because he's shrewd. He's shrewd trying to maintain these relationships by being sensitive to cultural expectations. This is not Abraham being politically correct. There's a difference here. Abraham knows that he's going to approach this in a slightly different way than the Hittites do. And instead of insisting on, a, on them joining him and approaching it his way, he's willing to come and join them in speaking their language, as it were, and, and brings it to a resolution. This could have led to a war, to a battle, and that's not what Abraham's about here. He's not so willing to get a deal in money that, uh, that he doesn't want to do that so badly that he's willing to cut off these potential relationships and these potential allies. In Genesis 25, we see Esau and Jacob and the beginning of their complicated relationship. 
Esau comes back from hunting, comes and sees Jacob baking a stew, and uh, he, he's so tired that he can't even come up with the words. And, and the, the way that the Hebrew is rendered, he says, give me some of that red, red stuff. Um, and the Hebrew word that's used for uh, how Esau eats this red, red stuff uh, is a, a word that's only used for how animals eat. So it's clear that the, the writer of Genesis is uh, seeing Esau as this uncouth uh, sort of huntsman who's not as thoughtful or clever as Jacob is. And in their interaction, Jacob tricks Esau into giving him his birthright. And I think that this demonstrates, I mean, Jacob is not like an innocent party here. Jacob knows exactly what he's doing and he's a conniving, you know, schemer. But words and oaths matter. And, and that's the idea of justice and righteousness that this conflict, I think, reflects. That uh, Esau is going to be careless with his words, much like he's careless in his choice of spouse, as we see at the end of chapter 26. The final conflict that we see uh, before we look at a couple of tragedies um, is the conflict between Isaac and Abimelech, very similar to the conflict that uh, Abimelech had with Isaac's father. You see, Isaac pretends Rebekah is his sister, much as Abraham pretended Sarah was his sister. And you'd think that Isaac, you know, probably would have known better. Probably Abraham would have told him a little bit about this, but maybe not. And so Isaac tries it again. And Abimelech, uh, at this point, I, I can only imagine Abimelech is like, this again. Um, but but he, he takes it maybe a little bit better and ends up sending Isaac away um, and, and asking him, hey, you know, we got to have boundaries here. We can't be doing the same song and dance again. And sends him away and, and Isaac uh, flourishes where he and Abimelech are able to have a relationship where they're not in each other's hair, as it were. And sometimes that's how we have to live with other people. That's what resolution looks like at times, where we give other people space and we take our own space. So there's definitely conflict that does exist in the story, and it's tricky to live as God's covenant people with others. Um, but what's truly frightening is when there are threats against justice and righteousness that seem to be threats by God. The last kind of story that we have in these six chapters is the story of tragedy. And there are two of these stories, I think. Um, perhaps you would classify another one as a tragedy. Um, but we see this in Genesis 21 and in Genesis 22. And this is when uh, it doesn't seem as if God's covenant people are being just or righteous, or it doesn't seem like God is being just and righteous. So the first story, we see Hagar and Ishmael exiled again. And this just does not seem fair. Hagar has done everything that's been asked of her. She's uh, gone in to have a child by Abraham. Um, whether she cared for Abraham or not, the text doesn't say. But she did it because her mistress Sarah asked her to. Uh, she had Ishmael who, uh, with Abraham, who Abraham loved and was considered Sarah's child because of the laws of inheritance at that time. And 
While the author of Genesis has studiously avoided com commenting explicitly on what he believes about Hagar and Sarah, we see again that when Sarah and Ishmael are, th or excuse me, when Hagar and Ishmael are thrown into the wilderness, that God hears their cry once again. And God preserves justice in sparing their lives, letting them live, and, and in fact thrive apart from Sarah's bullying and, and Isaac's uh, uh, legitimateness of, of being the heir, that Ishmael can be identified not as the bastard son of Abraham with this uh, uh, slave girl, this Egyptian slave girl, as, as Sarah calls Hagar, but Ishmael can be identified as who he is, who God has made him to be. And I think that there's a, a definite amount of grief here. Many of us have seen this sort of emotional and physical abuse happen within families. Some of us have experienced it ourselves. Um, so by no means, I think, does the story uh, clear Sarah from, from any sort of guilt here. But it is interesting to see how Ishmael returns in chapter 25 to bury his father alongside Isaac. There, there must have been some deep hurt that Ishmael worked through that, and processed that allowed him to go back into that family that did him wrong. So a clear reminder that just because the church does something, just because God's chosen people do something, doesn't make it right, doesn't make it just. And then in Genesis 22... Potentially one of the most disturbing stories we've come across so far in our reading of the Old Testament, God commands Abraham to sacrifice his son. Now, I didn't used to have trouble with this story. Of course, we need to dedicate everything to God. That's the call of the Christian, that um, I surrender all, as the hymn goes. And um, Jesus demands our soul, our life, our all. And, and so for God to demand that Abraham's give up his son Isaac, well, you know, that's part and parcel of what we're called to do as those who follow God. But then I became a father. Then um, I began to grow and love this little person that God had blessed me with and, and God had blessed our family with. And to think that God would believe it to be okay to have me bring my daughter who looks up to me and trusts me and use her as a sacrifice, I have some serious concerns about this story. And, and maybe you do too. Maybe it hasn't hit you the same way it's hit me, and that's okay also. And, and the, the only way I can make sense of this story is that what God spared Abraham from doing, God was willing to do. That, that God did not, God was not willing to hold back any part of himself, that God was willing to give up his incarnate son for humanity's sake, as, as the one who uh, would show us what it looks like to live with righteousness and justice. That although we threatened the covenant. God was willing to do what he refused to allow Abraham to do. That's the only way that I can read this story and still trust that God is good.
And as we continue to read the Old Testament, there will be other stories that make us question whether the God we serve is truly righteous or just. And I think that uh, as we read, we need to remember that the Old Testament is not condoning all of these things, but that the Old Testament characters are our ancestors in faith, and we can learn from them. That's all for Genesis 21 through 26, and this will not be the last time that the covenant is threatened, mind you, but um, this this is uh, sort of the theme that runs throughout these last six chapters. Over this next week, we'll read Genesis 27 through 32, and it is my prayer that God would bless you in your reading of scripture. See you next week.